0: Please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading this book will make you dangerous. And now, let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is Men's Coach Trip Lemire. Do you get pissed off when someone says something that goes against your values? Do you believe that negotiation is all about winning and getting the best of the other guy? And is calling someone out really the best way to make positive change? Kwame Christian is the director of the American Negotiation Institute, which means he knows a thing or two about resolving conflicts and finding solutions. Today. He's going to share some basic tips that will help us navigate challenges online, at home, at work, and in our neighborhood.
1: Welcome to the new man. Today we're talking with Kwame Christian. He's a business lawyer. He's a mediator. He's the director of the American Negotiation Institute. He's also the host of the Negotiate Anything podcast. You can learn more about him by visiting AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com. Kwame, thank you so much for coming on the show, Ann.
2: Hey, Tripp. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, so give us an idea of what, what kind of negotiations you're dealing with on a regular basis. I just want to kind of get a sense of, we get a, get an image of what your world is like.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a father and a husband, so those are my main negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> every day. <laughs> and, and then, uh, what time are you going to bed? What time bad. are you going
1: to brush your teeth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: everything's on the table okay. everything is on the table yeah so that's the first realm and then we we expand the circle that so I have a staff now so my chief operating officer we have interns and, and different contractors that work with us so negotiations with them all the time um, deciding how to direct the business you know how to manage operations those type of things and then as we're getting more clients for these negotiation trainings conflict resolution trainings and and now we've <laughs> out of circumstance um, a lot of people have been reaching out for to us, talking about how do we have difficult conversations about race, yeah. and so we've been doing a lot of trainings in that regard. So negotiating with the clients about the the scope of the agreement, the the numbers, and those type of things. So constantly negotiating, but I think we all are when we take a take a good look at it.
1: And so I, what I'm getting from you is sometimes when we think of negotiation, it's like all right, I'm going to sit across from somebody, and I'm going to try and get my bigger piece of the of the pie. But it, that's, that's not what I'm getting from you as I hear you talking about this, because it sounds like, well, if I'm living with these people or I'm working with these people or I'm living amongst these people as, as part of a community, we can't go out and try to win. Is it, is it like winning the negotiation? That's the term that comes to mind. What's, what's your philosophy around that?
2: Yeah. And so it's my philosophy as it relates to negotiation is that we're always negotiating. So my definition is um, any conversation where somebody in the conversation wants something. And with that definition, it's very broad and it's intentionally broad because I want to raise the negotiation awareness for the people who are listening. So think about it. I mean, you, a lot of times the reason why people fail in these conversations, is because they don't identify the conversation as a negotiation, so they don't have that trigger to use the skills that we'll talk about later in this this episode. And so um, for me, the philosophy of negotiation is I think about it as having three main goals. Number one, get more of what we want. Number two, avoid things that we don't want. And number three, strengthen relationships. And so there in all of our reactions, we can get stuff that we want. There's probably something we want to avoid. Let's avoid that. But regardless of whether or not we're not we're we're able to accomplish the the first two goals, we can always have the conversation in a way that strengthens the relationship because there's value in the relationship there. So I just want to help people to think a little bit more strategically about their interactions. So the interactions are more calibrated to success, whatever success happens to be in that situation.
1: Okay. That seems completely upside down from how we are witnessing things, whether it's on a cable TV show and people are just yelling at each other or it's Facebook and people are typing at each other with all caps. It's, it it doesn't seem to be about any of those three things. It's, it seems to be more egoically driven. I need to be right. You need to be wrong. And I want to get my pound of flesh out of you because you're wrong or you've hurt me or you've scared me in some way. What's it like for you to see that as? Is that the norm? Is that is that we're still in this kind of archaic version of trying to get what we want, which is I got to in order for me to do well, you have to do less well. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the a lot of times with these conversations, we take an unnecessarily difficult path to victory where my winning necessitates your losing. And not just you losing as in you not getting what you want, but you being humiliated and embarrassed through the process. And honestly, we're living in a time today where I think the ability to converse civilly is getting worse, not better, because we're able to self-segregate in really unique ways. So, for instance, think about it with social media with social media, if I don't like what you're saying, I can just unfollow you, right? But I can then follow a lot of people who who agree with me. And so as a result of that, I'm in this echo chamber where my views are echoed back to me from the people around me. And so then, in many cases, I can hide behind the shield of anonymity and I can just tear down other people online. And so a lot of times when you see these debates happening in the comment sections uh, on uh, different articles or videos, or even with actual social media profiles, it's not about persuading that particular individual you you, the person would be shocked so let's say if i if you post something uh trip and then i just uh, like try to eviscerate you (laughs) in the comments i would truly be shocked if then you said you know what kwame you're you're right you're absolutely right i'm changing my perspective because that's not the purpose there's a performative aspect for it it's virtue signaling to my audience this is what i believe right? And then at the same time, I'm shaming you for what you believe. And so it's not really intended to be persuasive. It's more intended to be performative. And I think that has the the the, the, uh, the result of pulling us apart.
1: Okay. We got to unpack that one because that was a lot. I think you, you touched on something that's huge, which is why is it that I'm not inspired when, if I rarely go, I rarely read comments just for this particular aspect, because I don't find them informative. If, if it was a place where I got great information, then I would read them. It is, I love that you said it's performative. It's it's more of this, hey, look at me. And you're saying they're they're performing to themselves to validate themselves, but also to validate themselves or to seek validation from their group. Exactly. And, and then, so it's not even about like, I'm, my, my ideas are better. I'm trying to help you understand where I'm coming from so that we can move towards a, a, another, you know, we can make some progress here. It's merely, I need to eviscerate you. I need to tear you down. You are my enemy, um, and that's that's just uninspiring to me. It's just like we're watching professional wrestling here. It's not even I mean, <laughs> professional wrestling's better, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> much better. <laughs> yeah, costumes are better. You know, they just put a lot more into it. You know, so
2: <laughs> yeah. No, you're right, and it, it's tough. And one of the things that I, I say to people is when we're trying to actually inspire change what we should do in in online in particular, we should ask ourselves, are we calling out or calling in? That's the way I like to look at it. So if I'm calling you out, that's something that I'm doing publicly, that's public ridicule. And here's the thing, even if, let's say I'm the person online who has been called out, and then let's say you provide facts that, you know what? I might actually be seeing this the wrong way. I cannot publicly stand down because my dignity is at stake. And so we're creating an, a, a relationship where <laughs> I can't, even if I feel like I'm wrong now, I can't show people I'm wrong because it, it, it tears me down personally and I leave this interaction with less dignity. Whereas if we call somebody in, what we're doing is instead of tearing somebody down publicly, we're calling them in privately. Let me send you a direct message and and actually engage in a dialogue. And so the framework that I use for all of my negotiations and difficult conversations comes from my book, um, Finding Confidence in Conflict. It's called The Compassionate Curiosity Framework. So step one, acknowledge emotions. Step two, get curious with compassion. And step three, engage in joint problem solving. And it's a framework that we can use at work and at home to be successful. And we can even use it in, in these situations too. But I think the first step is to choose the, the, the terms of engagement. And usually if we're doing it in public, it's going to be very problematic.
1: All right. I want to slow things down a bit. It seems like before we could even get to that part, we've got to check ourselves. Is this about me? Is it really, it's not even about the cause anymore. It's not even about Hey there's there's justice here. It's it seems like it's more egoic like hey this is my chance to shine or this is my chance to feel good about myself or whatever fill in the blank but it seems to be more self-centered instead of hey if I really care about the cause then I'm going to slow down. I'm going to invite this person into a conversation. I'm going to check myself and make sure this isn't about me and and then we're going to have a we can have a conversation about this. It sounds like that has to happen first before I just launch in and I think I'm I think I'm progressing things. I think I'm standing up for my cause, but it's really more self-oriented.
2: Yeah, you're spot on. And that's what that's what I talk about in the book with the framework. The coolest part is that it's not just a tool for external negotiations, but a tool for self-reflection in internal negotiations as well. And so, like you said, it, it comes from ego in a lot of these circumstances. But here's the thing. Most people don't recognize that it comes from ego. They don't know exactly where it comes from because emotional intelligence, self awareness, that's not something that comes innately. That's something that you have to teach yourself. And so taking that same framework and focusing but on the internal negotiation, what we do is we acknowledge our own emotions. What am I feeling? How, how do I truly feel about this situation? Then you transition to getting curious with compassion. So you're asking yourself, not in a judgmental tone, because we can be very self-critical in a, in a damaging type of way. So we just say, so why do I feel that way? What led me to this belief? And sometimes it might be a bias. Sometimes it might be ego. Sometimes you might come to the conclusion, the reason I'm doing this in this way isn't because I genuinely think it advances the cause, but because I want people around me to say, "Ooh, you're a smart person. Ooh, you're a good person. Oh, you're on my side. Right. And then when it comes to the joint problem solving, what we're doing is we're reconciling the needs of our heart and our mind. And so we might have an emotional need. Okay, that's that's legitimate. Emotional needs are legitimate. But then we also have a substantive need. What is it tangibly that I want to get out of this conversation? And then when you reconcile those things, you say, what can I accomplish tangibly that I'm okay with emotionally? Then when you get once you get that internal clarity, now you can have that external dialogue because now you are clear. But if you're unclear going into those conversations, you're the person's going to be trying to hit a moving target because you haven't figured out for yourself what it is you want and why you want it
1: when you're mediating, when you're when you're going back and forth between rooms like that and and how much of your work is navigating this egoic, emotional, highly charged world, even if it's just between two parties that have X amount in the bank or they're trying to move a deal this way and that way, like When It would seem like it's just going to make sense on a balance sheet what needs to happen, but how much of your energy and time is going through this labyrinth of emotions and ego?
2: (laughs) The vast majority. I mean, it's probably 90%. Before we can even talk talk about the substance and the facts and the law, we have to take time and and wrestle with the emotions. Because uh, one thing I always say is that you can't send a message to somebody who's not psychologically ready to receive it. So if you are just incensed just so furious it i could say 2 plus 2 is 4 and you would be like because you said it <laughs> 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 absolutely not you know so you have to take the time to to work through it and we've been told this lie over and over and over again that there there's no emotion in business feelings don't matter those type of things i mean you can say that It doesn't make it true. And so if you want to be effective, you have to work through these things and it takes time. And again, that framework works. That's why we have to acknowledge emotions and then transition into curiosity, gathering information, and then getting to problem solving. Problem solving is last, but if we put that first, we're going to run into these invisible barriers and wonder why we can't get through the conversation. And that's when people get frustrated and they give up because they say, this person's crazy. And then the other person says, no, you're crazy. No, no, you're both crazy. You're both highly emotional. You need to work through that if you want to eventually solve the problem.
1: All right, so right now in our current time as we're recording this, there's a huge amount of conflict. There's a huge amount of emotion. There's a huge amount of righteousness on on whatever side people are, are in this thing not a lot of people are actually talking more and more people are talking and sharing what's it like for you as somebody who does this for a living also as a man of color what's it like for you to be in this world and watch this going down i mean are you are you just smacking your the palm on your head like what what's it like i'm just <laughs>
2: It's so frustrating, man, because the thing is, I wanted to stay out of this. I did civil rights work for a few years out of law school, and so I got my law degree and my master of public policy at the same time, and so right out I did civil rights work focusing more on the policy side, so criminal justice, health equity, those type of things, talking to police officers, lawyers, health professionals, talking about injustice in society and what we can do to to make things better, and so I, I became emotionally burnt out. It just focusing on the so much negative in in society it, it really broke me down and so i went through a period for a, a full over a calendar year where i didn't look at the news at all if anybody posted anything political no matter what side um i would unfollow them uh, i unfollowed my wife trip <laughs> <laughs> i followed her <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> You are too much. I'm not dealing with it. (laughs) And so I was completely out of the game for years. And then just seeing how difficult the people were struggling over this. um, You know, I had my wife, she challenged me and she used the framework. She said, acknowledging emotions, curious with compassion, joint problem solving. So she said, listen, Kwame, I, I know that you don't like talking about this. I know it breaks you down emotionally. And the question I have for you is. Considering that you are the guy that people go to for advice about difficult conversations, and in your book, it's all about encouraging people to have the difficult conversations that they don't want to have. How do you reconcile that identity with the fact that you are intentionally avoiding those conversations? And i I had no good answer. I was being I was being selfish. And so that's what led me to get back in the game and uh, and start to help people through having these difficult conversations about race, because when it comes down to it, the the fundamentals are the same. And that I think that's the thing that made me the most confident coming back and the most reassured, because I did a, a virtual town hall, and uh, I said, listen, I'm here for you, I apologize, I wasn't available, but let's do this. And honestly, I didn't want it to be successful. I, I wanted like, you know, four or five people to show up. I, I said I checked my little box. I did it. Okay, I tried. But after three after three days, over one thousand people showed up for this town hall. Um, CNBC and Forbes uh, did articles on it, and uh, I stayed there for three hours answering everybody's questions. And what's so fascinating is that those questions very rarely. Very rarely did they speak about specific injustices. They were talking more about when I'm in a conversation and somebody says, blah, how do I handle it? If I'm trying to accomplish X, Y, Z in a conversation, how do I handle it? And so you're just using the same fundamentals of negotiation and conflict resolution that you would in the business world, that you would at home, but applying it to a new situation that is admittedly significantly more emotionally charged. But again, we have a framework to handle it.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I wasn't aware that, that you'd been out of the game and, or, you know, out of that conversation and then felt called to come back in. And and that that's uh, I could imagine it feeling like a burden, but also a calling. I could imagine it being pretty confusing to to, to step into that uh, and just yeah. also feel the weight. Like, uh, is it do I have to like if
0: I don't know what, what I mean, can you speak more of that personally? What it, what, it, what that was like?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because C- it was heavy. I uh, I tell the story of my cousin who uh, used to play semi pro soccer. And uh, there was a day where he was sitting on the bench. He wasn't happy with the way that he played. And one of his teammates got into a fight and uh, the benches cleared and everybody was fighting. And my friend and my cousin just stayed on the bench <laughs> and just watched the fight. And the coach came up to him after the game and said, Ryan, next time there's a fight, we're all fighting. You better get off the bench next time. <laughs> and, so, and so the next, uh, like a couple weeks later, the same thing happened and he looked to his left and he looked to his right and everybody was off the bench but him. And so he said, ah, okay, I guess I'm fighting now. And so he got up <laughs> reluctantly. And that's how I felt. That's how I felt. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. If you're the negotiation guy, this is what you have to do. And and the way that I was able to, to really approach this in a way that was a little bit more psychologically um, resilient was using a different identity. And so my my undergrad degrees in psychology. I like thinking about things in this way. And so I said to myself, well, Kwame, the business person, doesn't want to talk about race. Kwame, the father, the husband, the person just relaxing is just burdened by this. But if I see myself as a leader, what would Kwame, the leader, do? And so when I saw myself through that lens, it became very clear what I had to do. I have a very unique voice in this, a person of color who has a background in in uh, psychology, a background in civil rights, and a negotiation and conflict resolution expert. Uh, this is, it's, it's me, that's what I have to do. And so since I did that, um, it's that part of the business, which did not exist that I didn't want to exist (laughs) has become like the biggest part of the business. Um, it's, it's incredible, but I think it it really goes to show that if you see yourself as a leader, it calls you to do certain things. Even if you don't want to do it, um, you you kind of have a responsibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's gotta be a razor's edge there where it's not a burden, but it's also, you know, it's something you feel called like you find your reason for doing it. Like I'm going to choose to do this instead of I have to do this. Uh, yep. One can be energizing and one one can be, you know, can drag us down. So um, I, I've heard that evolution only occurs when we get bored, when we get bored. <laughs> and right now it's like, it seems like we're getting bored. Well, I, I say we, I'm like, I'm hoping we get bored with this football game style of trying to, you know, outdo the other side. It doesn't seem like we recognize that, How you talked, how you started this conversation is, well, I live with my children and I live with my wife. We got to work this out. We're going to have to figure this out. Everything is up for that kind of conversation. Um, it really seems like there's a, there's a modality here, which is the only way to get through this is, is the left's going to beat the right or the right's going to beat the left or, or whatever those power differentials are. The only way that we're going to get through this is if my side dominates the other side. Um, how many more years do you think we have of that? (laughs) stupidity
2: (laughs) because i'm gonna i'm gonna
1: gonna turn off my phone until then so
2: (laughs) i don't know it's it's really it's really tough and because because now i'm thinking about it and i'm putting my lawyer hat on and the policy degree on right i'm thinking about what it would take to to make that change and um the number one goal of power is the retention of power and so if you think about it, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberal, we live in a country where we're a two party system. Yeah, we have some little people out here who do, you know, <laughs> nothing like, the, you know, the other parties they are they're not relevant. Um, and so even though the left hates the right and the right hates the left, they have this it's almost like an abusive relationship. They can't get a, they can't get away from each other because as much as they hate each other, they need each other in order to stay relevant. And at the same time, they say, listen, I hate you, you hate me, that's the game we play, and we can go back and forth, we can oscillate power, but as long as it's just us two, that means we retain more power. And so it do- doesn't give space for other parties to come through. And really, I don't know, it, I was talking to one of my professors, a constitutional law professor, and his, his fear was that we just become more and more divided because that's what you can, you see, we, we sense it, we see it on social media, and then when you think about what we're seeing in Congress, what we're seeing in the politics, and just statistically speaking, we're becoming more polarized, and social media has has expedited that process. And his fear was that the only way to rebuild the system Is for it to break and so what does breaking the system mean that's that's a terror that's a terrifying concept for me as a lawyer because the Constitution our our frame of government has been well established for many years what does it take to break it and so I don't know and so I I think it's a a pretty cynical view that I have (laughs) when it comes to the the power structures within politics and their capacity for change Um, but I think though as it relates to us as individuals we do have a stronger capacity to change. And if we are able to start having these difficult conversations and we're able to treat people respectfully, listen, and then get to that point where we can reconcile our differences, I think from a ground floor level, we can start to see that change that we want to see.
1: That's what I see happening. Like on a, when, I, when, I, when you get two people in a room, something happens. When you get two groups in a room, there's, a, there's something locks up something. And so we get two people in a room or they go for a walk or they hang out and they talk about their kids. They talk about this and that. And they really, Oh, you're a lot like me. Yeah. You know, we, we, we are more similar than that. And, and then it's like, then that curiosity can, can start to come through. I want, I want to give the listener, let's, we've been zoomed out. Let's zoom back in. I want to give the listener some tools, right? So let's imagine our listener is bored. He's sick of this back and forth, but he wants to stay engaged. He doesn't want to eject from the whole thing. So if he has a proclivity to go online and maybe make a comment here or two, or whatever that might be, what, how could we support him to engage this conversation, even if it's just with his thumbs? Ideally, it's with an actual human being, but yeah. even if it's just with his thumbs, what would be a more um, productive pro- a way to progress that conversation instead of just adding to the noise and adding to the gridlock?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think what we have to do is think about it like a practice session, because if we think about it in terms of, okay, I want to win this conversation. Okay, I didn't win this conversation. Now that that was a loss, you're going to struggle. And um, in my book, I talk about the license to fail. In these conversations, if you're afraid to fail, then you're probably not going to have the conversation, even if you go through the process, and you have it to the best of your abilities, and it doesn't work out. um, That's not your fault but if you don't take the opportunity then that's your fault. And so I encourage people to just have the dialogue. Use it as a practice session. Just say, "Okay, I'm going to try to call this person in." And you you might even post there, "Hey, this is, thank you for sharing your your thoughts. Uh I, I'd love to understand more. I'm going to shoot you a, a DM to so we can have a conversation." And then try. And use the framework. I I created this um this free guide on the website called um, the How to Talk About Race Guide. And so if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash justice, you can get access to that download. And then also just guides in general. If you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can get access to 15 plus um, negotiation guides that help you through these difficult conversations so you can prepare. Because a lot of times we don't prepare. We just go in the, in the conversation and freestyle, hope for the best. And not surprisingly, we get surprised and it starts to break down very quickly. So you need to think through the conversation, what you're going to say. And um, that guide will help you go through that framework too. So the, the Compassionate Curiosity Framework.
1: I, I, think it's, I think it's powerful that the first thing you did was, hey, I, w- I want to hear more. I'm curious. But then we're also going to get off of this stage where people are watching. And it sounds like that's a way to make sure... Um, I can actually be curious here instead of, I got to worry about what others are thinking of me. Um, it, t- it seems to deescalate that, that sense that, um, that, that, that part of us that's worried about how we're going to be perceived. So I'm going to actually interact with you directly instead of making sure I got to get it right in front of all, all of my, my group and then making sure I don't lose face in front of the others.
2: Exactly. And and one thing to consider, too, um, in one of my recent episodes of the podcast Negotiate Anything, I had a guest on that talked about the difficulties of negotiating online. And there are studies that demonstrate that people, when they're having online discussions, they have less empathy. It's more difficult to empathize with, with somebody when they're not directly in front of you. So there are going to be a lot of different um, barriers that people face in these conversations. But I think the more well, well-versed you, you are in it and in your, the the more prepared you are in these conversations, the better off you'll do. And I think the, the, the podcast is a great resource to give you a, a lot of different angles because we have people on the show that talk about um, traditional business negotiation, negotiation as an entrepreneur, as a lawyer, um, negotiation within your uh, relationship. I had a therapist on to talk about how you can negotiate with your significant other like to hit it from different angles because we're we're having these conversations all the time like we described and and the, the more familiar you get with it the better and trip i just had an idea <laughs> I so on my on my show, I have these episodes called sparring sessions where I try to become the embodiment of the guests of, of your the listeners worst fear. And so we have the guests come on, give some tools. And then in the very next episode, it's the guest versus me in an unscripted negotiation um, on the topic. And so they have to work through the conversation. And then we do an ESPN style breakdown afterwards <laughs> Oh, great right when you did that. And I was trying to do this, that type of stuff we should have a conversation about race. That would be crazy. So I think that might be one of the upcoming episodes. That that could be a fun one.
1: Yeah. Okay. Got it. The podcast you're referring to is the Negotiate Anything podcast, If if folks are listening. What I'm getting here is that everything is a negotiation. You, you mentioned that at the top. Now we're starting to understand why everything is a negotiation. But I think we've got to look at negotiation through a different lens, which is it's not about how can I get more from you and you get less from me. It's more about how are we going to work together on this stuff in a way where it works to both of our benefit ultimately and it exactly. doesn't break us down. Okay. Well, that, that's not a given. That's not a given in, in, in the world. So I want to lay that down. So now there's a, an incentive, to get good at this, to actually develop this skill. There's an incentive to learn how to listen. There's an incentive to learn how to see things from another angle and then to want to move towards, ultimately to move towards a solution. Um, Without that understanding, we are in a place of fear. I'm going to lose power, I'm gonna lose face, I'm going to lose my status in my group, so of course, I'm going to dig in. Of course, I've got to be right. Of course, I have zero interest in what you have to say. Um, and so I, I just want to lay that that groundwork. Okay, now, hey, I do want to learn these skills. I do want to get good at this because this is going to impact everything. It's going to impact how well things run at home, how well things run with my business, with my customers, my clients, also just with my neighbors, my family, like all the way out, we could start to have a lot Smoother, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have difficult conversations, but we're going to learn how to navigate those conversations more effectively.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think about it in, uh, in terms of uh, like think about lifting, right? Sometimes you, you lift something heavy and your hands hurt. Right. And so the the people who lift a lot, they start to get calluses on their hand. So it doesn't hurt as much. And when it comes to these conversations, we're developing those calluses, not calluses in terms of being less empathetic during the conversation, but calluses in terms of not allowing our personal fears to hold us back. And I, I talk about the need to Create the habit of engagement and so you don't want it to be a situation where you have to always think about Oh, do I need to Should I have this conversation? Should I not? Okay, that takes a lot of emotional energy takes a lot of cognitive energy to make that decision but the thing about habits is that you don't need to think about it and so as you start to develop this habit of engagement you see a problem I'm gonna have a conversation about it. And my motto is that the the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And as we start to master this skill, it puts you in a better position to create that life that you want to live and create that society that you want to live in. Beautiful.
1: Kwame Christian, uh, you can learn more about him by visiting the com. He's also got a great podcast called Negotiate Anything. Um, thank you so much, my man.
2: Hey, my pleasure, thanks for the interview. If
1: these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.